0: 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 to 21 and says this This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God Moreover it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court In fact I do not even judge myself for I am not aware of anything against myself but I am not thereby acquitted It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor against one another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why then do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That uh, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I'll find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish, that I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your word and for the truth that it speaks into our lives. And God, we pray that as we look at this passage and uh, examine it, God, that you would be speaking to us each about uh, how we ought to view those who are leading us and how we ought to understand our lives as followers of Jesus um, individually, God. And uh, God, we pray that you would just continue to encourage and strengthen us, God, that your Holy Spirit would be here convicting and changing our hearts and drawing us closer to you as we look at this passage. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so... Um, We've been in uh, 1 Corinthians for a little bit now. Probably, I guess, uh, maybe this is our fifth or sixth week in 1 Corinthians. Uh, So just a quick review of chapters 1 to 3. What we've seen in chapters 1 to 3 is Paul uh, contrasting human wisdom versus the gospel and saying to us that this simple fact is true, that the gospel is not equal to human wisdom. We've seen the Corinthians try to uh, somehow equate the gospel to just another piece of human wisdom and compare it to human wisdom in some way. And uh, Paul goes throughout uh, chapters one to three showing us that they're totally different things. They're in completely different ballpark, ballparks. Uh, the, the wisdom of God and the gospel is not even compatible with, uh, with human wisdom. Uh, human wisdom is uh, the, a human explanation of life from a human perspective, whereas the gospel is the action of God sending his son to save those who believe and give them eternal life. The wisdom of of man comes from man and stays with man. The wisdom of God is before man entirely. Uh, Human wisdom is from this age and will pass away with his age, is what we saw in in chapters 1 to 3, but the gospel is from before the ages and is eternal in nature. We also saw that Human wisdom uh, may bring popularity and may bring influence in this life, uh, but the gospel brings us uh, possession and victory of all things in life, in death, in present, in future, in the entire world, even, uh, even those that we exalt are, are ours to possess. Paul and Apollos and Cephas, uh, as, we, as we studied that, we saw that The gospel, last week we saw that the gospel, uh, the wisdom of God has given us possession of all things. That means any circumstance we face in life, we have victory over. Any, Any situation that we go through, we have won through the cross. Even death itself has been given over to us in victory through the blood of Jesus. And while the Corinthians were exalting these individuals, Paul and Apollos and Cephas, as great human thinkers what we found out was that actually they're just leaders among the body they're no different they're just sinners among among the saints and and they're they're uh just they're they're of us while while the corinthians were saying i am of paul and i am of apollos and i am of cephas paul is saying no paul is of you and apollos is of you and cephas is of you they're one together in the community uh, of Jesus. And so, uh, so the gospel shows us that we have victory and possession of all things and even of those that are part of the body. Um, we are, we're submitted unto one another. So today, so in, in the past few chapters, we've seen Paul sort of contrast the gospel versus human wisdom. And what we'll see today is Paul uh, hitting, hitting the nail on the head with, uh, with how we are to view church leaders, how we are to view people like Paul and Apollos, and how we are to understand them uh, in, in the gospel community. Paul corrects the Corinthian view of church leaders throughout our text today. Um, what he says at the very outset of the, of the passage there in, uh, chapter, in verse one is, I um, oh, told you this is going to be a venture, uh, is this, uh, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So we see that um, church leaders are to be regarded as servants of Christ and as trustworthy stewards of the mysteries of God. Uh, so firstly, we see this, that we'll look at this, that, that the um, church leaders are to be seen as stewards of the mysteries of God, trustworthy stewards of the mysteries of God. Uh, the problem that the Corinthians have is this. The Corinthians viewed their leaders as a source of wisdom in and of themselves. So they viewed Paul as this great wise teacher that they exalted. They viewed Apollos as this great wise sage that they would follow and this great, uh, had this great style of speaking. We, uh, we, they viewed Cephas as this another uh, wise individual that they gained wisdom from. And as a result of them sort of exalting these individuals, what we saw in chapter 1 is that divisions resulted from that. As one person exalted Paul, they became uh, uh, wrapped up in Paul's teaching and his way of teaching. And another was wrapped up in Apollo's type of teaching, another in Cephas. And it created divisions among them while they were the, while, where they ended up following Paul rather than Christ, where they followed Apollos rather than Christ, and Cephas instead of Christ. And these divisions were created. Um, they would say, again, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. And further, they took pride in this. They took pride in the positions that they had. And so we see this in uh, verses uh, 6 and 7 of our passage today. Verses 6 and 7 say this, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if if, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See that uh, they are being puffed up in favor of one teacher against another. And so Paul is admonishing them to uh, not go beyond what, is, what he has written to them and be puffed up in your perspective or your view or who it is you follow, but rather listen to what Paul has written. So the question is, what did, what did Paul write? Uh, Paul wrote a few things here and we'll just review them quickly. Uh, first, this, he He makes a number of references during uh chapters one to three of of prior texts before his and and so he points them to these truths about God and his wisdom and so the first uh, one I want to look at is first corinthians three twenty he said in first corinthians three twenty that the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile um, in this we see that uh that human wisdom is again futile. So as they're exalting these individuals, what Paul is saying to them is, while you exalt an individualistic thinking of things, you're missing the point that our wisdom, our truth, our gospel has come from God, not from these people. And in fact, human wisdom in and of itself is futile and passing away. So the first thing he reminds them that is written is that, that human wisdom is futile and passing away. The second thing is this. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 10, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So secondly, we see that uh, human wisdom is futile, but in Christ, God has given us his Spirit. He has given us All these things which before we could not see, which before we could not hear, which before we could not imagine, he has given them to us in Jesus Christ. The depths of the knowledge of God are ours in the Lord. As the Spirit searches the very depths of God, he reveals those things to us. The love of the Father is demonstrated to us over and over and over again, and that depth of love is shown to us and so human wisdom is futile. Is this first point. His second point is that God has given you already access to everything, all knowledge, all truth in Jesus, in His, in the Spirit that God sent to you. And finally, we see this, um, 1 Corinthians one thirty-one: As it is written, let no one who boasts, uh, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You see, the Corinthians were boasting in individuals who who in truth had received from the Lord. Uh, Paul and Apollos and Cephas are are followers of Jesus, and and God has demonstrated his love to them in a powerful way and given them some truth that they are sharing with others. But the Corinthian error is that they exalt that individual rather than the God who gave that wisdom in the first place. So Paul is saying, don't boast in my teaching. Don't boast in uh, in your own understanding of my teaching. Rather, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This truth, this gospel, this God's wisdom has come from not man. It has come from before man, it has become from, come from God himself. Um, so our leaders are simply to be uh, stewards of the mysteries of God. So a question might be, what, what are the mysteries of God? What is he talking about? The mysteries of God. What are they stewarding? What is that thing that they are to be trustworthy over? Uh, And I'll say it simply, it's this, and we've said it over and over again, and probably till, till till the day I die, I will say it like this, that it is Christ crucified. It is the very gospel of God. The mystery of God is that he would send his son to die for us. So we're reminded of, of these passages while looking at, uh, at the life of Jesus and, 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 and some others. And uh, so the first is this. What is, what is the wisdom and mystery of God? It's that he would say to his disciples this. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and on the third day rise. That is a mystery of God that he would send his son, that he himself would take the form of a man and endure a crucifixion at the hands of people that are not righteous and they would rise on the third day. That is the mystery of God, that he would do that for us, that he loved us so much that he would do that. The mystery of God is is this, that that the only way to the Father is is in Jesus. He says this to, to his disciples. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, uh, you do know him and have seen him. The mystery of God is that Jesus and and the Father are unified so much so that when you're looking at Jesus and what he did on the cross, you're looking at the very heart of God. They're one and the same. And the amazing thing is that the Spirit he has given us is one and the same with them. As we read last week, uh, we are of Christ and Christ is of God. We are unified with God through Jesus. And in Jesus, we have the only access to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. What is the mystery of God? It's this familiar passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever, right? Whoever believes. It doesn't matter the amount of sin and junk that's in your past. Whoever believes in him should have eternal life. God has covered all sin. And if you would place your faith in him, he will reconcile you to the Father. That is the mystery of God. Despite my junk, and we all know our junk, we know it so well, despite all that. And we know that we're continuing to add to it every day. He's accepted us in the Savior. That is the mystery of God. The mystery of God is is simply this. It's if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's the mystery of God that it is by faith that we enter in to the very presence of God. It is not by any action we accomplish or wisdom that we gain in this world. It is simply by faith in what God has done and accomplished in Jesus Christ, believing in him and confessing him as our Lord. What are the mysteries of God? What are we to be trustworthy over as church leaders? It is that we are to be trustworthy over the gospel. The point is this, that that trustworthy stewards of the gospel will be found preaching the gospel and boasting in the Lord. Trustworthy stewards of the of the mysteries of God will be found preaching the gospel and boasting in the Lord. So we see that uh, that church leaders, that leaders in the church, ought to be stewards of the mystery of God. They have to be ones that steward the gospel, that declare the gospel. They don't puff up themselves or receive the the praise or pride of men, but rather point to the cross and boast in the Lord and what he's accomplished on the cross and ever preach the gospel in every circumstance and situation, looking for how Christ has been crucified and how that applies to everything that we've done in life. The second thing we see about church leaders is that they uh, rather than being some sort of master or lord or uh, high dignitary or uh, extra holy person, they are to be servants of Christ. Chapter 4 verse 1 uh, says that we ought to regard our, uh, regard the church leaders as servants of Christ. Not as great wise sages that we follow that somehow increase our, our station in life, but rather as servants of Christ. Christ Jesus. So we see this in a few ways. We see this uh, that, uh, you know, how are are our leaders servants of Christ? What does that look like? What does it look like for a church leader to be a servant of Christ? Well, Paul says it in a number of ways throughout our passage today, and the first is in uh, verses three to five. He says this, that uh, servants of Christ look for the approval of God rather than the approval of men. So read with me again, verses 3 to 5. Paul says this, But with me it is a very small thing uh, that I be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, uh, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart then each one will receive his commendation from God. You see the Corinthians were judging Paul. They were really literally casting judgment upon his ministry and his uh his commitment to the Corinthian church. And uh, as we look through this passage, we've, and I'll, I'll say this over and over, uh, as we read 1 Corinthians, we have to remember that uh, we see sort of the hand going into a piece of plaster as we're reading this book, okay? We've, I'll use this illustration over and over again. But this book is the hand, right? And the Corinthians are the plaster. As we read this book, we see what the Corinthian issue is. So when Paul says, for example, uh, it, is, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you, That's the hand. The plaster is that they are judging him. (laughs) They're judging Paul for some reason. And Paul is addressing that over and over. So as we go throughout 1 Corinthians, as you read these letters, as Paul says something, you can feel the issue behind it. The issue behind it is that the Corinthians are judging Paul and his ministry. And so he's addressing that head on. He's saying, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court or even by myself. I don't even judge myself. I let the Lord be the judge and approver of all that I have done. He says it this way again in verse 5. He says, um, when the Lord comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. We see this throughout Paul in his letters to various cities, even in the letter to the Philippians he remarks how there are some who are preaching the gospel, legitimately preaching the gospel of truth, the true gospel, uh, but they are doing so with a motive to somehow get at Paul in some way, to somehow make him uh, feel bad or feel uh, discouraged or, or, or uh, just uh, to, uh, to puff themselves up in some way. And he says, you know what? I don't care about their motives. I really don't. You're telling me that they're doing this you know, to somehow get at me? I do not care. You know why? Because they are preaching the gospel. What they are preaching is true. If their motive is to hurt me, so be it. I I don't even, I'm not even worried about that. What I'm worried about is that they are preaching the gospel. And for that, I rejoice. And so Paul says here again, you know, listen, I'm not worried about your judgment. I'm worried about what God has told me to do and accomplish. And what he's told me to do and accomplish is to preach Christ and him crucified, to preach the gospel faithfully. And so, uh, so we see that servants of Christ don't look for the approval of men. They look for the approval of God. I'll be honest with you, uh, this is an area that I struggle with. I, at heart, am a people pleaser, and I like the approval of men. I do. I, I like it a lot. And, uh, and so the Lord has been working on me to seek the approval of God rather than the approval of man. There's no worth in the approval of man. The only worth and value we have is in the approval of God. He is our maker. He is our father. He is the one to whom we answer in the end. And so the approval we ought to look for is the approval of God and not the approval of men. So that's a mark of the servant of Christ. Another mark of the servant of Christ is this, that they seek obedience over comfort. A servant of Christ is seeking obedience over comfort. Um verses 8 to 13 speak of this, and Paul is being sort of sarcastic uh, toward the Corinthians as he says this. He says, "'Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings, and would that you did reign so that we might share in the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men.'" We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things." I don't know about you, but unfortunately, I have in my mind, uh, in our culture, the, the perspective of a successful pastor or minister. Uh, I was reading just the complete, like, far end of this uh, today, or yesterday, in the Huffington Post, they, they had an article about, um, about Creflo Dollar. Have you guys heard about Creflo Dollar? Okay, well, Creflo Dollar is, I'll just educate you now, he is a pastor in Atlanta. He started an internet campaign to raise money for a jet, a $65 million jet that he proclaimed uh, was necessary for him to spread the good news of the prosperity gospel around the world. He got it. People ponied up $65 million for this man to have a jet, a personal, brand new, top of the line, private jet. Okay, uh, that is not seeking obedience over comfort. That is seeking comfort over obedience. Is there any reason a minister of the Lord needs A brand spanking new $65 million jet. I guarantee you no. I guarantee you no. And the sad thing is that he has been supported by follower after follower who thinks that if they give $300 to this man to have a jet, that somehow their standing in eternity is going to be increased. That because of this gift, they are somehow going to be blessed in this life and now uh, blessed even more in the next life. They've been duped and deceived by a man who is clearly um, manipulating the situation for his own comfort and pleasure. That is not a servant of Christ. But unfortunately, many times in our culture, that's probably the most extreme example that you will hear, but many times in our culture, the pastor of success is the one who is in great comfort. But Paul is saying the exact opposite here. He's saying, uh, that the, the, the servant of Christ looks like this. He looks like the one who is hungry and thirsty, poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless, laboring, working with their own hands, reviled, when reviled, blessing, when persecuted, enduring, when slandering, entreating, becoming the very refuse and scum of the world. The servant of Christ is not honored in this life, is not honored in the world's scheme of things. In, in most situations, he looks like that description of Paul. Now, does that mean, you know, we, we should, you know, all ministers should be homeless? No, that's not, that's not what it's saying. It's saying in Paul's circumstances, he goes around preaching the gospel as a missionary to the Mediterranean. He literally is homeless. He has left his house to preach the gospel, to do what God has called him to do. His seeking obedience looks like getting beat and jailed and homelessness and uh, facing circumstance after circumstance of difficulty. That was obedience for him as a servant of Christ. Again, that's not what obedience looks like for every minister, but I guarantee you obedience does not look like fundraising $65 million for a jet or or any other thing that might fall under that, uh, comforting yourself on the backs of other people. It's not what a minister of the gospel, a servant of Christ, is to be. And so a servant of Christ is to seek obedience over comfort. Uh, finally we see that a servant of Christ doesn't speak out of human wisdom, but preaches with the power of the kingdom of God. Verses 18 to 20 uh, say this, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you if the Lord wills. And I'll find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Paul, for the first time, calls out that there's a group among the Corinthians, a a group of arrogant people, he says, that is pushing this perspective of exalting leaders as, as human sages and wise people and following Paul and following Apollos and following Cephas. There's a group of people that are, they're advocating for this type of mentality. And he says, uh, he says again, um, some are arrogant as though I weren't coming to you. They think that I'm not going to come and somehow, somehow correct this understanding, but the truth is I will. And when I do, I'll find out uh, the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. You see, these this group of people is caught up in talk and human wisdom and in, in, uh, in knowledge that comes from man rather than salvation that has come from God. And so you'll find that The servant of Christ will not be found just preaching human wisdom, human understanding of the human experience in life. The servant of Christ will be found preaching the power of the kingdom of God, the mystery of God, that he would send his son to die for us. The power of salvation is that Jesus came and died on a cross for us, and that through him we have life eternal. That is the power of the kingdom of God. The servant of Christ will be found preaching that at all cost, in every circumstance, in every situation that they find themselves. They will be preaching the power of the kingdom of God and not simple human wisdom that will help us today, but will do nothing for us in the midst of eternity. So um, I'll leave you with this as we, as we close up. Um, cling to the gospel. Cling to the gospel. Church leaders are to be stewards of this fact that Christ died for us and that we are reconciled to God through him. As you listen to uh, preachers or leaders or people who are speaking on behalf of God in some way, saying that they do test everything against Christ and him crucified. Test it all against Christ and him crucified. If you see what your Savior has done, as you hear what people say, you can test it all against what he has done. Does it line up with a, with a God who would hang on a cross for me? Does what this person say? Or does what, what this person is saying? Does it line up against Christ crucified? Test everything against that. Test everything against the, glo- the gospel. Go with this also. Seek God's approval in all things. The praise of men is nice. It feels good to be honored and praised by people. I know. I like. I told you that's a struggle with that. Um, it feels good to be, uh, to be praised, to, to have approval of the people, of your peers, of your boss, of, you know, of people. It, it feels good to have that approval. But don't seek that approval. Seek the approval of God. The fact is, in our work situations, in our family situations, in our personal lives, if we're seeking the approval of God over the approval of men, we won't have to worry about approval of men coming if we serve in an excellent manner because we are serving the Lord, the approval of men will come and you won't even have to worry about it. It won't mean much to you because you're approving, you're finding your approval in God. Uh, but, but you will find that you will receive approval from men. The Lord calls us to be excellent in all that we do. That includes the job that he has given us. And as you work, as if, uh, as if this task that you've been given to do, do today is a task that the Lord has given you, not any man, not any uh, woman, not any person, but the Lord. You will do it with excellence, and you will honor the Lord in it, and uh, and so seek the approval of God in all things. Strive to be obedient, despite the cost. If God calls you to do something, don't worry about the cost. Um, the old saying is, "Where the Lord guides, He provides," <laughs> and that's true. It's so true. Um, if we are obedient to what God has called us to do, he will be faithful to provide and protect us. And uh, it, it might cost us something. It might be difficult. It might be a uh, fire that you walk through or difficult circumstances that you face. But obedience is what is called for, not, not our comfort. Finally, uh, pray that the power of the kingdom of God would follow you in everything You do. Uh, We've talked about this a a number of times in the past few weeks, but um, the fact is that uh, the kingdom of God advances by the power of God. It doesn't advance in our uh, persuasive, eloquent talk or wisdom or knowledge or our planning our words out just right to share with somebody or our ordering our lives in such a way that, that we are accomplishing our holiness the kingdom of God advances in our lives and in this world by the power of God. And so we have to be on our knees seeking the Lord that his power would reign in our lives, that, that our strength would be cast aside and that we'd operate entirely in what God has done for us through Jesus and the power he has provided to us in the kingdom of God. Pray that the power of the kingdom of God would follow you in all that you do. Let's pray now. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done and accomplished in our lives. We thank you that in Jesus it is finished. You have given us all things. You have given us the world, life, death, the present, the future. You've given it all to us, oh God. You've given us the inheritance, Father, of all things. So, God, I pray this week that that we would walk in that. We would walk in the truth that you've given us the power of the kingdom of God. That it's your approval that, that we seek, that it's obedience to you that we desire. Father, I pray that we would be found trustworthy stewards of the mysteries of God. We would proclaim your truth by our lives, by our actions, by our words, by all that we are. I would give you the praise and the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.